environment maybe that you haven't even been able to see. Proclaiming his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is on my side, and I won't be afraid. What can people do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I look in triumph on those who hate me. It's better to take shelter. If you want to know what the tip of the spear is of the whole entire scripture, it's this verse. Psalms 118, verse 8. You, you guys know this? It's the, one, it's the center verse of the entire Bible. 118.8. And it says this. I thought we should, you should pay attention to this verse. It's better to, it's better to take shelter in the Lord than to trust in people. So it's better to take your shelter in the Lord than to trust in people. The word there is refuge. It's better to I take my refuge in the Lord than trust in anything else. So if you trust in yourself or you trust in others, set all that aside and say, I place all my confidence in you this morning. I place all my confidence in you, Lord, and I trust you. Lord, we trust you this morning. We, we transfer all our trust over to you, and we bless your name, Lord. And we give, you, we give you glory in this house, and we thank you, Lord, for all the great things that you've done and all the great things that are sitting out in front of us. We bless your name, Lord. We bless your name. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord. May your name be proclaimed. May your name be proclaimed in this nation and this land, and may you, thank you, Lord. Lord, we bless your name. We thank you, Lord. We say your, your mercies endure forever, and your love is greater than anything else, and your love is greater than life. And we love you, Lord, and we, we bless you, Lord. We pray today, Lord, that you just be honored with us in the receiving of this food, and that it would honor you as we eat together and fellowship together in your love as a family of love. And we thank you, Lord, for this 2023 of all the advance that will happen and the broadness that will happen and the new places that we're all stepping into. And we go ahead and thank you in advance for things that we have not even thought of or could imagine uh, for, our, uh, for our families and, and our, extent, our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. And we thank you for every generation that's represented here and bless everyone's generation in your name, uh, and thank you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. There is a promised land waiting for me. Sometimes there's an ocean that lies in between. I'll keep on traveling the pathway you've been Till I'm right where you want me That's where I will be Freedom is coming And it has a name Oh, I'm known for my chains Oh, you take them away Freedom is coming And it has a name And it is Jesus How sweet is the name Said it's for freedom that I was set free. Now I walk in the victory that you want from me. And if on the journey.
Okay. So Gus Vickery, he has wants to come up. He has a family he wants us to pray for, and then let him talk to us just for a minute about this family, and then we're going to enter into a time of prayer for them. And then I do have some amazing things to say from the Lord, and I'm excited about doing that. And so, uh, Gus, if you want to come up and go ahead, and if we could all just kind of give our attention now and uh, focus with the Lord and together, okay. Happy New Year. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I'm so glad to be back with all of you again today. I've been hungry for this, and I've heard the same from a lot of people that I've been having conversations with, how it's nice, the holidays, the time off, celebrating Christmas, celebrating a new year, but to the last couple of weeks to have not gathered, which I know was an important break, an important period of rest, I'm definitely ready now. I can I could feel the sense of need, the hunger, the thirst, and so I'm really excited. Um, I, I'm just going to ask for everybody to pray together, and of course, feel free to lift anybody else up, and you know right now, I'm sure an enormous number of people need healing, need the Lord's power, comfort, encouragement in their life, but there's a family that is uh, very near and dear to my wife and I. They introduced my wife and I. They live in Black Mountain, and he's uh, a seminary grad. He's Run a, uh, the father is run a Christian camp and done amazing things in ministry, and he was one of my strongest mentors into the faith. Um, they have a daughter named Mary Page. She's a godchild of mine. She's a lovely uh, 20-year-old wo- woman married to a wonderful man named Will, and they've already had a couple of uh, lost pregnancies, and then they had another pregnancy. It was a big celebration, and a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, she had a abrupted placenta where the placenta detaches from the uterine wall and there's bleeding. And uh, that's a very high risk situation, but it stabilized, which was great. But then there's a blood clot in the um, uh, associated, you know, in the embryonic sac. And there's always a question of was the needed nutrient supply to the baby compromised during that period. So it stabilized. Over the break, a group of people gathered at their home and laid hands on her and anointed her and prayed. And I had a strong feeling that, you know, this the baby's name is Annie Mack and that the something that there was healing that was going to happen. But she did end up bleeding again and her water broke and she's in the hospital on complete bed rest. And from a human side, what they're looking for is a, f- a few more weeks. If she can get through a few more weeks before they have to deliver the baby, it's statistically a big game changer in terms of the viability and health the potential. And, of course, there's fear that maybe something could have happened when the placenta abrupted. Anyway, and these are lovely people who love the Lord. They know he has a plan for them, and they're strong in that. But I can imagine her sitting there in that uh, maternal fetal medicine floor room. I used to have to do rounds in those places, and it was like women would be there for weeks at a time, sometimes months, not have to stay in bed except to go to the bathroom, there, and just with a, a monitor on them continuously beeping, you know, to let, it, to let the staff know if there was a problem. So you can imagine the nervous system, how on edge it must be to be in that situation uh, and just have to, to lay there. But at the same time, in times like that, man, the Lord could move in and you could have just incredible growth and development as you just lay there, uh, dependent. I used to joke a little bit because there'd be some people who had a, you know, a bit of a light heart and they'd been there for 12 weeks and you'd go see them every morning and be like, all of this so you can have a, your 15-year-old tell you how much you hate them someday, you know, when you went through all of this to bring this one into the world. But anyway, 
I'm just going to ask that we pray for Mary Page and the family, especially for Annie Mack. God doesn't have to use an umbilical cord. He doesn't have to use a placenta. He chose to. Amazing biology, but he doesn't have to do that. He has means of delivering everything needed to knit together Annie Mack into a full, vitalized human with all of her potentials in front of her. And I'm going to ask that we would pray that that's exactly what he's doing right now, and she will be a great display of his power for this family and all those they'll witness to. So thank you, God, that we're approaching a healer. Uh, you're not just a healer, but you're certainly a healer. You're a giver of life. You fill us up. You knit us together perfectly according to your plan, which is, of course, written in a fullness of wisdom and love. And Lord, we pray with confidence because we know this is exactly what you came to do, is to heal, um, to, to restore us to that fullness that you created us to be. And so right now, I pray for Annie Mack in that womb, that Annie Mack is growing. Annie Mack can already, almost in a sense, know you in this state of development, that your spirit is filling her with life and everything needed for the brain, the heart, all of the essential uh, organs and everything to develop as it should be. And I pray, Lord, that you knit that abrupted placenta back or whatever you're going to do to see to it that everything needed is provided. And I pray, Lord, uh, during this time that Mary Page is at rest, that she's experiencing you in ways that she could have never imagined, that she could see that by you causing her to have to be still, to care for life, Lord, that you would put her in this position so she could be overwhelmed by your love, the knowledge of you, your power, right, your ability to work strongly into her life, her, her, your hus her husband's life, their entire family's life, and that this is going to just be a great testimony to your glory, to who you are for, for the rest of eternity, but certainly in the years to come. Please, Lord, heal them. We lift them up to you. Father God, in Jesus' mighty name, we know that you are the one that provides. Nothing is hidden from you. Sometimes you allow us to go through things so that your glory may be manifested even in a greater way so that others would see, like he, my brother said, that nothing is impossible for you. As you say in Matthew 19, 26, with God, everything is possible. We just have to trust and believe that you are God and allow you to move. And I thank you that you're gathering us all together. And who knows, maybe it was for this same reason, so that that family, with all the problems that they had with childbearing, that this one will be even for greater, greater manifestation that you are God. And we thank you that that little one is not going to be affected. Nothing is going to be affected. It's developing because you are the creator. The spirit of God doesn't need anything to move in. But your hand on this little one, and we're not only praying for him or that little one, but um, for the family and that everybody around 
the situation will see that you are who you are and who you say you are. We thank you that nothing, like I said before, is impossible for you, and that we are living testimonies, and we can be testimonies of who we are in you. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you, and we glorify your name, magnify your name, and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' mighty and amazing name, amen. 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 Thank you. Uh, David, he just, he just came up, and I was asking the Lord, I said, how do we uh, launch out today? He, he said, I, you know, I have this word from the Lord, and it's really good. And I, I was really sort of shocked because his, what he had from the Lord was so perfect uh, fit for us to, to uh, begin with. And um, so uh, Proverbs chapter 9. If we want to look at that together. Uh, wisdom has built her house. I don't know if you know this, but in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3, it says, and with, uh, by wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. And so here in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Wisdom has built her house, and she's carved out seven pillars. She's prepared her meat, and she's mixed her wine. She's arranged her table. She sent out all the uh, female servants. She's called to the highest places of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. She says to those who lack understanding, come eat some of my food and drink some of the wine I have mixed. Abandon your foolish ways so that you may live and proceed in the way of understanding. Whoever corrects a mocker is asking for an insult. Whoever reproves a wicked person receives abuse. Do not reprove a mocker or he will hate you. Reprove a wise person and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise person and he will become wiser still. Teach a righteous person and he will add to his learning. Uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And acknowledging the Holy One is understanding. For because of me, your days will be many and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you're wise in your own advantage. But if you're a mocker, you must, you must bear it. The woman called folly is brash. She is naive and does not know anything. So she sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who are passing by her in the way, who go straight on their way. Whoever's simple, let him turn in here. She says to those who lack understanding, stolen waters are sweet and food obtained in secret is pleasant. But they do not realize that the dead are there and that their guests are in the depths of the grave. Uh, Lord, we just ask you this morning for this uh, moment we come together to I dig deeper into your word and I pray for your wisdom. I'm mixed with your, uh, your hesed, your love, that would just uh, move in our midst and have your way, Lord, with us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. I, I had felt like today, because we've, we've been apart from, you know, a couple weeks, and uh, the Lord has said, you know, I want our team to rest and because we've pushed so hard, and this is sort of like a family 
thing here for us this morning. We didn't, they're not putting a bunch of invitations out because this, this is, you know, for you. And it, we needed rest of ministry since uh, September the 20th, 2020. Uh, has uh, pushed through 117 events, um, and I think our team was just feeling, you know, exhausted. To be honest, we have overcome so many obstacles in the human heart and have been through so much together. It's just like take some time and just rest as a family. And so, uh, in the middle of of the rest, and I I don't know what some of you experienced, but I wanted to share some things that were have been going on and some encounters I've had with the Lord, and then because I think it gives a context for uh, where we're headed. And so, you know, the, some churches do those vision things, and maybe that's what this is. I don't really know if this is what it is, but, you know, maybe it's like one of those kind of things. But uh, we'll see what the Holy Spirit wants to say about it. So, so if you want to go to Acts chapter 2, verse 34, um, out of the events that we're coming into and, and what we've been going through now, you know we had seven events at SDA Arden uh, because and, and up to that point there were 110 events that we had and so out of those seven events the Lord has said I'm going to cause the congregation to come in the seventh day or the place of my rest because it's my purpose that you inherit the land and that you come into a place of rightful inheritance in your families. Uh, that, you know, I don't know what your motif is and where you see yourself like in your journey with the Lord, and I don't even know if some of us even know, but all I can speak is concerning this house, that the uh, Egypt thing, we've, we all left it a long time ago. The wilderness, we are not in the wilderness, okay? The mindset, that mindset is one that the Lord has said, you know, this is not the mindset that your house is in. And in the promised land, in the northern and southern campaign that Joshua conducted, the, when they go in to take the 31 kings, this ministry has successfully uh, went through that, camp, that southern and northern campaign that is complete. And so after the campaign, there was, and it's going to pick up in the Davidic, model and in the Solomonic model uh, later on there's going to be a seating and of a crown or a kingdom that's going to be laid into Israel and so my understanding from the Holy Spirit is your post campaign in regards to the campaign of taking the land is complete and we know this is internal so that it will manifest itself external and now is the time of the seating of the crown of the Lord and you know I've been doing a series uh, out of Zechariah, and out of that series, we're looking at the establishing of God's royal family within the nation, or what you've heard or seen on screen, uh, Davidic monarchy. And we've been going through, in that Zechariah, understand, we've been going through a series called the Governor of the Nations, uh, because God's government, or his kingdom, is to be established within the context of a people who have overcome the land. So... So we're not, so we're, so we've went through that process as a ministry of the kingdom, not just the kingdom that's in the heavens, but the kingdom in the heavens being on the earth. And so now we're in that place of establishing God's government. The season, the vision series that I'm going to be taking us into, the next one is called the Avenger of the Afflicted. And so God's going to avenge his elect. 
And we're going to go through that. I don't know how long that series will last, but it's the avenging of the elect um, within the nation. So there, there's an avenging aspect of God avenging his people in the context of the Gentile nation or the, uh, the global system that's going on. The Lord's gathering a company called a remnant of his people. The elect being those that are within the context of Jerusalem, but the ones who are of Judah and Israel, and he's gathering us together as a family, and there, there's going to be an avenging of the Lord because he knows who we are, and, and he knows each one of you and where you're sitting and standing with him and what you've been through. You know, maybe no one else, they look at us, everybody else does, say, you know, and you put yourself against them, we all look like human beings, you know. But you've been through something, and you've been trained by the Lord and prepared for something. I believe this epic, that you've been prepared by him within the context of a nation to, to advance the kingdom of God here on the earth. And we're, after the avenger of the afflicted, we'll go through what's called builder of God's city. We're going to go through the builder of the city. And so there's, uh, we're... We have been poised by the Lord and prepared corporately to begin to advance this kingdom within the context of a hostile system. And he's brought our families together for this purpose. And um, he's going to have to call the shots, obviously, and we're going to wait and we're going to look at him. And so the first shot he calls is uh, one of rest. Because everything that you're going to partake of with the Lord will be born out of rest. It cannot be born out of effort. That's the thing that he's been, and Kelly Manning can talk about this probably really well. You did back when we were at the pavilion of tearing Sinai out of the soul. Because you're a people of Zion and you bring heaven to earth. And the reality of that, and I think you know, that we can't advance God's kingdom outside of rest. You know, he said, I swore my wrath, you know, no, they will not enter into my rest. But we're not of that company. He's reassured me we're not of the ones that he swore in his wrath because of their unbelief that they would not enter into rest. When we went to Seventh Day Adventist, which for some of us, it could seem like anything but rest. I bet you've been challenged You've been challenged to go back to that old way of thinking and to see if that's going to work for you, but you know that it will not work, that you must, like, wait on the Lord and get into a place where when everything's hitting you, whether it's family issues, sickness, or your, whatever, finances and the things that try to come, can you just look at him and keep your eyes just meditating on the Lord? Because we're a people of rest. And we're not characterized anymore by the six days of creation, but by the seventh, the one where he just rests rest in, in that. And so that's our context. And it was within the context of Israel that when they had come through the southern and northern campaign, he says to them, you will inherit houses that you didn't build, fixed assets, and you will inherit liquid assets that you did not plant the vineyard for or the fig. I'm going to do this for you. It's not going to be because of what you put up or shut up. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to bring you into a place where you are literally looking at me in, the, in that, my relationship with me, and I'm going to take care of things, and you're going to come into a broad place. And so we are poised to advance the kingdom of God now, and he's going to demonstrate himself. 
He says, demonstrate to your lives and demonstrate to your families that it's me. Our kids, we, we, I was doing devotion with them, and there's this kind of, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's me, Herb, the whole time. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's just kind of like a little funny thing in our family because it's been him, himself, the whole time. Dialing us down more and more and more out of self-effort, religious-based system. This is what I'm going to do to bring this to pass. This is how I can bring it to the table. This is what I'm going to do. He's like, no, I'm going to demonstrate my affection towards you and my love towards you, and you'll see I'm going to do it for you. And that is the condition upon which the church advances. And so... uh, so our greatest intensity in that, really, and what's been happening to me personally, is to receive his love and to allow your heart to just allow yourself to turn into him and receive from him. And so, so let's, go, let's go to Acts 2.34. It's just sort of like a, a little setup on the way this has to be or will look. And so someone, someone can you read Acts 2.34 out loud? Okay, so David did not ascend into the heavens, but he said and attested to this out of Psalms 110.1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit until your enemies become your footstool. What struck me in this, and I don't know the way you take it, but I'll just tell you the way it was put to me. We're in the event, X2M 1.16. That was the second to the last one we did at SDA Arden. That would have been the sixth event. We're up, I'm up on the stage, and I had the most incredible experience with the Lord, where, and I've, I've had this happen for 10 times, where the only way I know how to explain this is I go outside of uh, the whole dimensional space-time. I mean, outside of space-time, then outside of that time, into the 12th dimension, I'll get there, and then went into some eternal realm in scripture it's called the olam the everlasting place and i cross this barrier in myself and i'll tell you the only emotion i could tell you that i have or experience i have in that is utter dependency it is a feeling of complete one of them is reckless abandonment but like a complete complete you can do nothing of yourself and it, it takes everything to get there on a platform i'll tell you but it's like all of a sudden, everything that you could think or even do, or it's not in your thoughts, it's not in your action, all of a sudden, cross over and feel like, I guess, an infant. It kind of gets at what Gus was telling us. It's like being pre-infant state is the only way I know how to describe it. I'm standing up there next to him, 117, and it happened, it's happened almost every week, and I'm like, what is this place? And the Lord says to me, you know, it's me, and let me take over your body. And I know it's not in the same sense as Jesus because he's his own person, but it's like his, his self, his Christology, as we've been taught, his divine nature. And, man, he comes in. Oh, and I mean, I've been out of body. I've seen, I've seen the archangel Michael. I have watched healings manifest. I have been in with miracles. I have had the presence of God come on me. 
I've had so many experiences in the grace of God, I feel like I'm like one of those people that are just filled with experiences with God. And I'm going to tell you what I'm describing is infinitely better than any of those experiences I've ever had. And I'm sitting there thinking, I would wish this on every single human being that's alive because I never had an experience quite like this. Uh, it feels like, literally, like something, some being comes into your body and takes over your whole entire system, your whole DNA, your breathing, everything. It's the most glorious, most loving, most vibrant, most, there's no worry there. There's nothing, there's no concern. It's like the things that would bother you or, and, and I said, what is this? And he said, this is the act of transfiguration. This is what tabernacles was pointing towards. I am going to union myself with man. I'm going to have a full union at the end of this age, and in that way, I'm going to purify my bride fully. So we're up there, and the scriptures start coming down, and he says to me, he's like, I'm uh, jerking somebody up by the nap of the head like in Ezekiel 1, and come up to me into the sapphire throne. He particularly tells me, which I don't say it publicly, Melinda Scroggs, he tells me, I jerked her head up into the heavens. I'm taking her to the uh, throne. And I thought, man, I wonder if this is true. After the event, Melinda comes up to me and tells me it was like someone jerked me up by the head of the hair. She literally tells me everything that the Lord tells me that's happening to her in that event. And the Lord tells me, welcome to the sapphire throne. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 27, I believe it is, Jesus is seated right now at the sapphire throne. He, that's where he's at. In this ministry for 14 years, I have waited to get there for 14 years because he told me the human sanctification, you have to go through a process of death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And a lot of the church right now and the leadership of the church, there's some that are out there and they're mostly on the fringe, are talking about the ascension of our Lord but most, 75% of the church talks about the death. You know, some lesser percentage talks about burial. A lesser percentage are resurrected people, and even a lesser percentage are talking about Jesus' ascension. But for the last few, few years, but 14 years of this ministry's life cycle is like when you make it there, <laughs> like the Lord sets it there and he says, when you make it there, he said this to me, it'll be sapphire throne and home. I will cause the, the throne to manifest itself in the natural in our dimensional space here. And when that happens, I will begin the building of my kingdom in our context. And so all the pioneering work that's went on in this ministry, in my heart, in my mind, all this time was, can we make it there? And so when we hit that, and Melinda confirmed it after the event, X2M116, we hit the Sapphire Throne. And I would encourage you to go watch that video, uh, even though you might think, what happened to Carol? Because my voice switches. I feel like I was taken over by a being, and I... And it's been happening, but it was like, it's so much courage and love and sort of like, this thing is on, is happening. <laughs> this is, it's the kingdom of God and, and there's no problem about anything. And I don't know what we've been doing 
it's, I don't know if you've ever entered into heavy worship or that, but I, I've never, I was like, it's just like, you know, I, that's how I feel inside. I'm like, expand, you know, the kingdom of heaven is on the earth. It is engaging right now. And I got so excited up there. And then, then I'm like switching between I'm talking to the Lord and then he's talking through me to me. And I, that's an odd thing. And then if you don't think it's biblical, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, or, and whether in the body or out of the body, Paul said, I don't know. And I'll tell you, that's exactly like it is. It's like, are you in me or am I outside of myself looking at myself, seeing yourself in myself? That was my experience that Sunday. I'm like, I'm not in myself. Wait a minute, I'm not, he's in me. Wait a minute, no, I'm not, no. I'm talking to him, and then that's him. And I'm like, which person is this? You know, and it's the Lord, uh, his divinity that he wants to give every one of us. He wants to give us his full orb deal. And so, but what's the requirement? Complete and utter rest and full dependency, even as a little child. And I've seen this and I've experienced this where I'm building, I've built pride walls. I built uh, walls in my own being, I, walls that I didn't even know were built, walls of uh, the flesh that have been there. Something, all of us were born with them. It's called the nature of sin. The unbelief patterns, they've been integrated into our whole beings. And the Lord's like, if you'll just let me come near to you, I'll take another layer out. Because the Lord is after covenant. And so some of the suffering that you've been going through and affliction that you've been having, we may have had some of the wrong interpretation on it. Uh, Brad and I was talking about this earlier. And then I'm going to try to explain the best I can. I don't really have the best vocabulary with this. But I'm going to try to explain to you what I'm saying. It's kind of like, the only way I can think of it, it's like blood and blood and flesh and flesh in the blood. And the blood needs to go to the other blood. <laughs> it's kind of like maybe the way it works with having a baby. It's, a, it's, like a, it's like God has a blood, a blood. And we have one. And he wants to take this fabric that's inside of the blood, and he wants to jerk it out. It's like this stuff that's inside the blood. And it's been interfering with full, what do you call it? Anybody know? What do you call it when blood and blood go together and they work? What is it? I don't know. It, a blood transfusion? It's like something's inside of it, and it hurts real bad, but real good. And it hurts so bad, because he comes near, and he's so loving. He comes near, and he's like, I want to have a blood, 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 blood relationship with you. And I don't want anything coming between it. And so, so and, and Stephen and I had to talk about this, because he said, Carol, I'm experiencing pain. And uh, we went all in on this. And I'm having some painful things happen to me. And I don't understand. And I said, God's hesed is coming towards you, uh, Stephen. And he's exposing everything. Because he came to me, and I wanted him in here to talk a little bit. But he came to me, and he says, and, and I, it was a couple, it was the week after 117. He says to me, he says, uh, Carol, 
uh, and I said, I know, man. And I said, Lord, what do I say to Stephen? And, and the Lord said, ask him what his expectation was. What does he want from this? And um, two weeks later, Stephen and I get together. And we didn't talk. And Stephen sits down and he looks at me. He said, I have thought about your question for two weeks. And I said, well, I didn't know. Because if I tell you all about him and stuff, you could push that off. Because that's my experience. And if I tell you, you need to, you just need to trust him. You could say, whatever. That's what I've been doing. You know, and I tell you, uh, you know, Stephen, hey, man, you, it's going to be okay. Uh, you just go through a tough time. Yeah, I've been going through a tough time for a long time. You know, I, I already know all that. <laughs> and I thought everything I said to Stephen, he had a pushback. And I knew when he was getting like that, because if you've ever been hurt, that's what you do. You give a pushback to the person that's trying to help you, the one that loves you. And I'm like, Lord, what do I say to him? He's got to come back on everything. Hopefully he's okay with me saying this. He told me he was, so I hope. But he's just like push back, push back, push back, you know. And I'm like, don't get into, you know, I'm thinking, don't get apathetic. Don't get cynical. Don't get hurt and stone cold hurt. And you've done everything you're supposed to do. I mean, he has. He's, he's amazing. I love that guy. But he's feeling like this thing, and I'm feeling it, and I'm like, I don't know what to say. And Karen and I were over at Toyota getting the oil change, and he came to see me right afterwards, and I knew he wanted to talk through it. So, so I asked him, I said, what was your expectation after 117 events of pushing, leading us into the presence? He looks at me, he's like, I don't know. And I'm thinking, maybe I haven't been fair to you, Stephen, because I have my expectations, and Maybe I've been placing my own expectation onto you. And that's not fair to you, brother. So I said, what was yours? What is yours? What do you want? Because you're hurt. And uh, two weeks later, he meets with me. And he's like, oh, I love this guy. Like five times I love this guy. He just looks at me and he says, I realize, Carol, all I want is him. And I said, oh, you just know what to say. But I knew that he wasn't doing that. I knew he wasn't just coming up with, I know what to say. I knew his heart was like, I thought about what my expectation was out of this work. And I realized he's everything to me. He is himself. Apart from anything he does for me. Fixes my situation. This is, well, I, just, I just want him. And he says, but it's been hurting and I thought it wasn't going to hurt. I thought that when we went through this thing together, the glory, I was waiting on this big manifestation. And I said, it's him, Stephen. He's carving out a covenant. He wants to get everything that is got in between us. And he said, because it's been hurting. And I said, yeah, me too. I've been experiencing Hesed. And it's been painful. Like, he's been coming near, and your expectation gets exposed. You realize you wanted something else in addition to him. That you were gaming for some natural manifestation in this way, but it wasn't purely him. And you can't do anything about it. You feel backed into a corner. And I, and I think I speak to everyone in here that something will trigger you Unless I'm just alone in this, but I don't think so because Stephen, went, something triggers you and it feels like I want to run from this God. But we think it's someone else that's doing something to us or some situation that's causing it, but it's him. And the exposure comes. And I've went through so many rounds of this in the last couple of weeks 
and it'll be like something will happen and it just feels like I resist it. And I don't know if you know what I mean, but it'll be something, you know, Kara might say something. Don't say that, you know, and she don't mean anything by it, but it just gets you. Or it could be someone else or a situation that's coming and you're like, and the Lord, if you'll just listen to him in that moment, he's like, what's going on here? Why are you uh, flagging? What's your deal? And I have lost it in tears so many times in the last couple of weeks because we have these expectations. We're like, what is going on? I don't understand. And the Lord's like telling me, you don't know what it's like to rest. I'm wanting to instill a confidence inside of my people that that you can rest in my love after like numerous thing after this one after another it was on the 3rd of january the lord comes into my vehicle and all i did was just slightly turn my heart towards him this in the morning this love comes in again and it's so explosive i think my chest was going to literally burst open i could not take this love and i I know that God essentially is love. But I tell you, and I, I'm like, I don't have words, Lord, but it's, it's like the covenant. The covenant of God wants to mesh himself with us, and everything that is that hinders that covenant, he wants to take it. Now, he wants a full covenantal union with our person. And so uh, it said David did not ascend into heaven. And then I said, but Lord, you, you proclaiming that we, we are ascending into the heavens. You know, we've ascended up to the sapphire throne. But in David's dispensation and time, he wasn't allowed to go ascend. Because it says we know that David did not ascend into the heavens. And I know that it's in reference to Jesus. But see, this Christology that Jesus is delivering to us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, gives us an ascension life that even David himself did not have. Uh, He had some kind of realm of prophetic picture of the Lord said to my Lord, sit until your enemies are made your footstool. He had a picture there. But what is being delivered to us from Jesus and what he did at the cross is a life that can ascend all the way up to him. Why? Why does that matter? Because it says this, John wrote this, John the Beloved said this. He says, when you see him, what? You will be like him, for you will what? As what? So does ascension matter? It has to, why? Because when you see him, you will be like him, for you will see him as he is. So God would want the church to ascend to the sapphire throne. Why? Because you're having a prophetic uh, revelation of his own nature seated on the throne or standing like it happened with Stephen there manifesting into your consciousness. You're taking the face of the Lord into your framework, into your character and disposition because um, we are the people who seek his face, not just his hand. Or the people of the face, ascending up. So this is uh, uh, happening in our midst. So what happened with me after this in Acts 2.34, 
I'm taking in that text in, into the next thing. This happened on December the 28th. So I'm, I'm sent to this text in uh, 1 Chronicles 17, uh, 10 through 15. So I wrote, wrote this. So Well, I didn't write this, but I uh, put this down. So it says, And during the time when I appointed judges to lead my people Israel, I will subdue all your enemies. I declare to you that the Lord will build a dynastic house for you. Now, the person speaking here is God, and he's speaking to uh, King David. And uh, this is being recorded here. He said, I appointed the judges. Okay, the judges came out of the area after the campaign of Joshua. I appointed judges what? For what reason? To subdue all your enemies. I declare to you the Lord is going to build a dynastic house for you. And when the time comes for you to die, I will raise up your descendant, one of your own sons, to succeed you, and I will establish his kingdom. And what son is that? Solomon. So he's telling David in advance, and I'm, I'm going to try to explain something here, and I said this in some of my preaching, but the Lord said this to me. He said, I've always wanted to have a Davidic heart inside of a Solomon's body. I paid, the Lord paid to have a heart of David inside of a wisdom of Solomon. You see, and the problem was is David, David had a heart after God that Solomon didn't have, but Solomon had a wisdom that David didn't have because it said, he's going to tell Solomon, no king before you has possessed this wisdom and nor any king after you possess this wisdom. And so God wanted to take or wants to take with us and put within us a Davidic heart inside of a Solomon's body, the wisdom and the heart of integrity. He wants to put them both together. Now, David's heart is based in the image of God. Solomon's wisdom is based in the likeness of God. And remember, we were created in what? And his Right. And so you are created in God's, this is male or female, you're created in God's image and his likeness. You're created to have a heart after him in image like David had, but to also receive wisdom like Solomon had and put them both into the same person. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine having wisdom like Solomon has and a heart like David has in one person? The kingdom of God, what the Lord is wanting to express in this generation, is that. I want a Davidic heart inside of a Solomon's body. I want a, I want a kingdom like Solomon. Because in, um, uh, Nathan told me this this week that, Nathan, what, what did he say about this? Uh, the guy at Reading uh, about Solomon? Say a little bit about that. Thank you. Uh, right, that the church itself was supposed to be the 
yeah, resourcing or changing the environment around them. And I think that a lot that's been going on is there's been so much of a lack of the Davidic heart of covenant that David operated in that we've not even got into a Solomon's sort of structure. And, oh Lord, this is what happens. Uh, this is what is happening in our midst right now. This is what he's saying, the Holy Spirit's saying to me. I have finally found me a house where there is a Davidic heart of covenantal loyalty to me that I can place inside and build a kingdom out of. And this is what I have longed to do, and this is part of the restoration of man and of woman, that I could put a heart of David inside of a Solomonic body. Now, it's, and the Lord, you know, it's like this is something I've been longing for. I wanted a, an order called Melchizedek. I wanted this. This is in my heart. I don't want a divided house anymore. I've seen enough of this, and I want to expand my kingdom through, through this. And this is what he tells David. So when the Lord comes to me and he shows me this, he said, he'll build me a house and I'll make his dynasty permanent. Well, I didn't know this, but in X to M117, after the sapphire throne, the Lord tells me to name it, and I can't pronounce it. It's French. It's spelled P-E-R-M-U-T-A-R-E, permutare. It basically means permanence. The Holy Spirit comes to me and says, I have established a permanent dynasty within this house, X to M117, because we came up to the sapphire throne, and I am saying this about this house, that this house is a permanent dynasty to me. And it, so he says that to me, and he, says, and, I, and he says, I will become his father, and he will become my son, and I will never withhold my loyal love, has said. Listen to what he says. This struck me and Stephen. It really struck me when I got this. I will not hold, withhold my hesed. That was X to M115 for us. Now, I got to say this. Right after that event, Brad Ames comes up to me. He said, I literally, I turned the radio on the way here that Sunday. And the radio guy that on the radio is talking about hesed that day while he's on his way to the collider. Just another confirming witness when the Lord, we needed confirmation you're just not coming up with something on the stage that just is some kind of idea. No, the Lord is laying this work into, into reality out of the scripture. So he says, I'll never withhold my hesed from him. Speaking, I'll never withhold hesed from Solomon as I withheld it from the one who ruled before you. Listen, it doesn't say this was Saul. It says about Saul, he was taller than any other Israelite, and he was better looking. He had the looks going. He had the intelligence going. He had the national security initiatives going. He knew how to raise an army. He had an anointing on him. He had all these things going for him. And the one thing that God withheld from him was what? Hesed. Do you see how important that is? If God is, if the Lord is saying that I raised up a king, the people wanted. They wanted a king like the other nations, not one born out of, out of the heart of the Lord. This one thing, though, he had all that going for him. You know, uh, Saul began to prophesy. Saul had the intelligence. Saul had the look. Saul had the whole thing going for him. And yet, because he did not turn his heart towards the Lord... 
And because he disobeyed the word of the Lord and didn't maintain his covenantal loyalty to the Lord, the Lord pulls what? One thing from him. Doesn't pull his intellect, doesn't pull his looks, doesn't pull his, uh, his position. He doesn't do anything. The one thing he takes from him is hesed. He takes his loyal love off of him. And for 33 more years, Saul is going to rule a kingdom without the loyal or steadfast love of the Lord. Now you can see why this matters. Because if that's the one distinguishing thing, that means it doesn't matter what you look like. you understand? It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how much education you have. It doesn't matter what your disposition is. It doesn't matter if you're a good, charismatic speaker or not. Or if you've got all this uh, thing going for you because uh, your mom and daddy had all this going for them. It makes not one difference. Because if God gives you his steadfast love, you have everything that you need to advance the kingdom of God. You have his hesed. It, it don't matter. It don't matter what you come from or what you don't have. Or what, that's what we need. That's what God's people, when the Lord sets it on a people, and this is what he said to me, I'm setting it on your house, son, to me. I give you this. I give this to you, and I've been experiencing it, and maybe you have too. I was sitting in um, Starbucks in front of the Biltmore house, I was drinking a cup of coffee. I went and got my hair cut. I'm sitting down there. And I, because, I, I, you know, Karen and I have to move next week. We don't know where we're moving. It's a lot of pressure. And I've been feeling it. Like, I don't know what to do. And I know I got a word from you, but I just got to wait on you. And I'm not going to change. I'm not going to try to make anything happen. I'm going to rest in this. And I said to myself, I said, oh, I love her so much. Karen. I just love her so much. And I say, if I have her besides you, I have everything. And I have so many other things to be thankful for, but I just felt so close to her. And all of a sudden, this royal love comes on my head. And I mean, I was like, what? I, it was like, you're the most wealthiest. You got everything. Nothing's a problem. It just comes on my head. And I'm sitting there. Kara writes me. I wrote, I love you, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, texted her. She's writing me at the exact same moment. She experiences his love in Saluda, comes down on her head, hits her, and we stayed in it all day. And it was like, oh, my Lord. I was like, this is, this is it. Nothing matters. Nothing matters but this. Nothing matters more than this love. And it transmits out of you, Jeff Manning, onto other people. It hits you, it hits you, Brian Jacobson, and comes down on your head and hits other people. It comes on you, Juliana Harris, and it touches your family and other people. It's the Lord. It's this love. And I was like, and you took that from Saul, and he's took and he takes it from, he takes it from those who are not covenantally faithful to him. So I, I get to hear a podcast. I sent this out a little bit to some of you, but of uh, Michael Heiser. And it said that, that within Israel, there were only eight kings of Judah that were given positive affirmation. Eight kings. 
and only two of them were really positively affirmed by the Lord uh, in Scripture. It was Josiah and Hezekiah. And it says about Josiah, this is the one th attribute that was given that was positive towards him that the Holy Spirit has allowed us to read. It says, he turned to the Lord. Do y'all know what I mean when I say that? I think you do. That there's so many other things that are bombarding you. And, um, and, and I think Brad said this before the event. To me, it, it was the exact way to put it. It was infinite condescension of the Godhead to love us. And, and I, I love that phrase because, for me at least, it's always a turning aside. It's like I'm on this mode, and the Lord's like, and you decide to take up your cross. You decide to turn into something that maybe hurts or you don't want to do, and you give yourself to it, and there he is. It seems like so petty sometimes, or what, that won't matter if I do that, but it's just this little thing, and you turn towards the Lord, and boom, there he is. Do you know what I mean? It was said of Josiah that that's what he did. And that was the one attribute that God proclaims that was great about a king of Israel that started his reign at eight years of age. Hezekiah, it says this about him, and Hezekiah didn't do good at the end of his reign because he opened up the tabernacle so the Babylonians could see all the gold. He was getting into a bling-bling show thing on God's temple. But Hezekiah, it said that when push come to shove, this is me paraphrasing, the man trusted the Lord. All the chips are down in your life. It looks like they're going to say your name wrong. They're going, this is going to be taken from you. You're not going to be able to figure it out. Hezekiah says, you know, remember when he laid out all the papers and Reb Shaka's like screaming over the thing, trying to get everybody to defect away from Israel, and he's yelling at them. Y'all know that story? And they're under siege warfare, and they're going, you know, they don't know what they're going to do. Hezekiah gets down, he spreads out uh, the word of the Lord, and he said, I place my trust in you, and he worships the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, because this is what went wrong with Saul's kingship. Seven days he waited. Now, he didn't wait quite long enough. He didn't wait for the word of the Lord to lead him and guide him. His heart turned in rebellion against the word of the Lord, and he moves off his thing. And the next thing you know, Samuel shows up. And isn't that, and I don't know how many times I've had this happen, you hold the line, hold the line, rest in the Lord. The Lord's going to deliver. The Lord's going to deliver. And we go to make a movement outside of that. Do never, never, never do that. Samuel says to Saul, who's a juxtaposition to Solomon here, he says to him, he says, you have done foolishly in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because he didn't hold his trust. He said, this, is, this person saying that, well, it was bad for them. They had 30,000 charioteers and 6,000 men on horses, and he had raised up a conscript army who was basically had shovels and picks to fight a superior force. And, and Saul got out of order with the Lord, and the Lord took the hesed off of him. Do you see why covenantal loyalty to the Lord matters? Do you see why your prayer life matters? Do you see why no matter if the chips are down and everything looks like it's coming apart in your life that you do not compromise and you do not look for a way out and you wait on the Lord until the Lord delivers and it'll always push you out. 
past seven days, I mean, proverbially speaking, because there's an eighth day. And we're going to get lit next Sunday because it's the eighth day of Collider in the seventh day reality. Why? Because eight means what? It's a new beginning. Why? Because wait, saw, wait, wait and rest, wait, wait for it, wait for him. He's not, he's not coming here going to kill all the guys. He only had 600 men left. They ran into caves and hid. Everybody scared half out of their wits. Hezekiah, same thing, scared out of their wits. Jehoshaphat, same thing. Everybody's like, oh, and they're all starting to run away from him. And then the truth of who you are will be seen in the middle of that pressure. Will you hold the line on the word of the Lord that's been delivered to you and wait on the Lord? And will you turn to him in the middle of travesty, hardship, conflict, problems, and wait on him? You're being, that's the way we're being looked at. And all of your progression in the kingdom is a, is, is a it goes according to that. Well, so I was like, oh, Lord, that's amazing. And I thought, that's so amazing, uh, that whole thing. Until on 1230, which was uh, the 30th of December, uh, we lost water at the house. We haven't had, the heat hadn't been working for the last couple months. And we've been running little heaters at the house. And, um, and then we all, not all of us in our family, but Kara and I get sick. She, she's sick, I'm sick, and I'm just feeling terrible, bad, bad, like laid up in the bed for days, sick. And so by the time October 30th gets there, I wake up in the middle of the night in a full sweat, which is good. I, December 30th, sorry. December 30th, wake up in a full sweat, and I'm like, why am I soaking wet? Uh, so I go change my clothes, and I come back to bed. It's, it's like it was 3.30 in the morning. Uh, and I'm just read to you something I wrote. I can't get off my mind matters going into the next Zechariah vision set, the Avenger of the Afflicted and the depth involving national issues concerning this nation. And everything is, for me, has been so personal because the Lord with us is very personal. He's very, very relationally personal. And I write this, a shift's coming of not just being loved and restored, but to love and restore and the advancement of this kingdom out of this house. And, you know, and I'm really like, okay, we've come up to this point now because you'll notice we haven't tried to, like, build the ministry too much. We've, it's just not been on the, uh, on the docket. It's been about establishing a family. And it seems all monumental to me because the Lord's like, I'm going to advance on this nation. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know how to deal with it. And I feel completely overwhelmed. And I write or say to the Lord, how do you do this? Quite literally, I speak to the Lord these words. And I, I say this to the Lord. I say, I'm but a little child. Um, in the sense that these matters are too great for me to, con to discern. I, I can't understand national issues. They're so profound, our nation's issues and other nations' issues, and I have not been able to get this uh, quote out of my head by Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill said this, I cannot forecast to you the action of Russia. It is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. And I said, what in the... What is that? And it's been going on in my head for two weeks now. It's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma, but perhaps there is a key. He says, Winston Churchill said, the key is Russian national interest. And the Lord's like, look at it. 
look at what a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma is. I said, I don't know what that means. But the way, reason why they made decisions that they made was because of their own national interest is what Winston Churchill would say. And I don't, you know, some of you understand global politics probably way better than I do, but I was like, that's not necessarily the best interest to have, is it? Nationalism. Ammon was a First Nations people, and the Lord has a, and it deals in nationalism. Ammon in the Bible, when you read about Am, the Ammonites, them defeating Ammonites, it's, it's because of nationalism. It's the nationalistic pride. So I know that within this quote lies a deeper meaning that if unscrambled could bring a wisdom to national and even multinational perspective. It, I feel like it's so overwhelming, I'm in a reminder of the need of his hesed, his steadfast love to govern, and without it, proper decisions cannot be made. And I don't know if you watch the news. I don't, but I hear stuff. How are you going to make good decisions if you don't have God's hesed? If Saul can't, and he's Israel's king, then who, how is anybody of these other guys that aren't Israel's king? They're not going to make good decisions. They're not being motivated by his steadfast love. You wouldn't know what decision to make, right? And we we'll put so much confidence in that. When they don't even have his hesed on them. Because they're making anti-covenantal decisions, we can see them. And you think God's going to get on with that? No, he's not in this. No, no. The words, he wants covenant so much deeper than what they're doing. They're so anti-covenant that they're out and open with it. The Lord's looking for something way beyond that. You know. So I decide to look up the phrase, I'm but a little child. And I find it two places in the scripture. And I didn't know this uh, before. There were two men who said that. Do y'all know? Jeremiah, Solomon. And Jeremiah says it in Jeremiah 1. He says, I'm but a little child. And the Lord says to him, do not say you're but a little child, but I'm going to have you uproot and tear down kingdoms, and I'm going to have you plant and build a kingdom. And I thought, what an interesting context. And then so I go, and you can go there with me for a minute for, to 1 Kings 3, and I, I'll finish with this, but you'll see, you'll see how, I believe how special what this whole thing happens is for us. So I, it's middle of the night. I turn to 1 Kings 3. Um, how many of you have seen the, uh, the new Chosen series, the third? Have you seen the third episode in the Chosen series? Not the third season, but third season, third episode, when Jesus comes and stands in the temple and proclaims Isaiah 61. Nathan made the most apropos statement this week. He says, you know, they were reading through that weekly. Well, it's just interesting that Jesus is getting up and reading Isaiah 61 in the time that he would say, I'm the one who's anointed, right? I mean, he's getting up. When they ask him to do the public reading, he's like, wait a minute, this is talking about me. <laughs> Why is this important what I'm saying? I think that we have done a lot of taking the text and applying it abstractly to our lives instead of letting the text maneuver and operate our life. And we find out we're immersed into the text because we're in relationship to the word who became flesh and dwelled. Do you see the difference? It's one thing to just take the text and do all this textual criticism and operate the text. I mean, the Pharisees were doing that, were they not? And he says that you don't know, 
neither me nor my father. Your father's the devil. They're like, wait a minute. We read the text all day. We fast and we pray. And you're saying our father's a father is the devil. I mean, that's heavily offensive to a Pharisee who is a Jew who's immersed in the text every day but has no relationship with the father. Do you see the difference of what I'm saying? Because we've tried to take text, apply it abstractly to our life instead of letting the text inform our experience. Jesus is like, well, they asked me to read it today. I'm honoring the local rabbi who raised me in the temple. I'm just going to, oh, are you, and if you haven't seen it, wait, do you see it? Are you saying you're the Messiah? Uh, are you saying that you fulfill the law of Moses? And he says, I am the law of Moses. Do you know how uh, his buddies that he grew up with are going to go throw him off a cliff now because they have to honor the text? But they're missing the text that's right there in front of them. The word is flesh. And see, there's the difference in proper ministry and an improper one. A proper ministry, the text is informing. It's coming in and intervening into your life, and it matches with your daily life. Just taking text, Logos text, and trying to apply it abstractly, well, that's what the Pharisees were doing. They didn't have a relationship with the Father. Um, that's what's wrong with the so-called prosperity gospel itself. And that's why it becomes a witchcraft thing is because if you take that gospel and you apply it abstractly, not in relationship with the Father who is a benefactor, who loves you, who is communion with you, you just apply uh, structures apart from a relationship with him, you don't, you're out of order. And that's, that can get into satanic stuff. I mean, Jesus said it. Do you understand And so I say that because I didn't know, I didn't know that night, and this is why I got so excited. I didn't know when I said to the Lord, I'm but a little child who said that. And this has a big emphasis on our ministry right now. And I I say it because the Lord said, say it. So he says, so when you look at verse 4, so the king goes up to Gibeon to offer sacrifices for it. It was most prominent of the high places. Solomon would offer up a thousand burnt sacrifices on an altar there. One night in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. God said, tell me what I should give you. Solomon replied, you demonstrated great loyalty to to your servant, my father. Do you know what the word, the scripture, what it says right there, what great loyalty is? Do you know what it is in the Hebrew? Hesed. Now, you have to remember, two days before this, the Lord's showing me David's death. Now he's showing me Solomon's reign, the beginning of Solomon's reign. So I'm like, wait a minute. And he's backing it up and saying, Solomon's saying this about his daddy. He knew this. Solomon knew this. You demonstrated hesed to my daddy. Do you see that? He's not saying all these other things. He's making an offering. He says, my daddy, I know my daddy, and my, the one thing he says about his daddy is you gave my daddy hesed. He doesn't say you gave him all these other things, a kingdom and all. He said, no, you demonstrated hesed to him. Solomon knows this. I bet you his daddy told him. Oh, he loves me. <laughs> boy he loves me and I love him you know he he taught his son this so his then he goes on he says 
he, as he served you faithfully, properly, and sincerely, you have maintained this great hesed to this day by allowing his son, he's speaking of himself, to sit on his throne. So now there's been a succession of governmental leadership. Solomon now is on the throne of David. And he says this, Now, O Lord, my God, you made this servant king in your father David's place, even though I am but a little child. And man, I was reading it in the middle of the night, and I said, what? And he says, your servant stands among this chosen people, this great nation that's so numerous to count or number, so give your servant a discerning mind so that I can make decisions for this great nation. And it says, and the Lord was pleased with his request. I'm laying in my bed. The Holy Spirit comes on me. He tells me that. I'm pleased with you. And I said, oh, finally. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know. And, that, and then I said, oh, this is interesting. Oh, and, and then he says, because you didn't ask for the ability. Because you asked me for this, I'm going to do. And you all know the story, right? And I was kind of blown away right there in the bed because I realized that if you know that text, anybody would pray, yes, Lord, just give me wisdom. Yeah, that's all I want. And then the whole time you're like, really what I want is a bunch of money and I want to be famous. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know if any of you have ever read, uh, read that and you're like, oh, that's what I want. I just want wisdom. <laughs> I, I'm not saying I want any of those other things. You know what I mean? And the Lord's like, <clears throat> we'll, get, we'll deal with this. And so what I'm attempting to share with you is, is that um, I, I share this with Stephen, I share this with Nathan this week, and I was like, <sighs> Stephen said, that's it, Carol. He said, everything we have done boils down to the love of God. And everything we will do from this day forward is because we love him because he first loved us. The whole conclusion of the matter. And I, I was like thinking, I can't believe this just happened. And I realized how much you don't normally see people in leadership or especially the guy who's the king over a whole nation call himself a little child. I mean, we've had a wrong idea, I think, of what godly leadership is and what it looks like. And that Solomon, because he had a nature like that, and I think that if we're all truthful to ourselves about ourselves, that we realize that that is one of the most attractive, one of the most attractive natures. It's just the simplicity of a childlike nature. It's the one that can just get out there and play and run and have a good time and everything's taken care of. And so, like, today, I want to just close and just, just pray with you that this steadfast love that God builds his whole kingdom off of, that it will just fall on your heads if it hasn't already. You know, you may already be in this every day, but it doesn't hurt, you know, for me to pray for you. And, you know, I don't do a lot of things like that a lot of times, but the Lord's like, wants me to. 
And I pray that, you know, just like I shared this about being over at the Nolan's house, that we're just simply sitting there making biscotti. And the next thing you know, I'm just a bundle of tears driving away from there because they had demonstrated God's love in the very most simplest way, but profound because 40 years of their marriage has been wrapped up into perfecting something to deliver and give of themselves. And they give the best of what they had. And it was very good. And that we would be these kind of people that would give the best of what they had. It says right after that experience that Solomon has, says he went and made a couple offerings and he made a feast. And that's why we're here today. Because, and we're going to have more feasts. You know, I found out with King Saul, Saul that in the middle of his situation that was similar to David's at Gibeah and Solomon was at Gibeon he declared a fast on all his people after they had went through so much trials and hardship he tells them all of you must fast and I don't know if you know that story but Jonathan doesn't know that and he goes and gets that that honey out of a rock he eats it and his eyes grow bright and everybody's concerned that his own daddy's going to kill his own son and that is corrupt type leadership. Now, I'm not telling you if leadership is said to fast that it's corrupt. But I was so happy when the Lord says, this house will feast. This house today, we'll have a feast together, and we're going to have more of them. We're going to have more this year. I, my prayer is this year that we'll have 43 events, and we'll have nine breaks where we're going to eat together. We're going to have family time together. We're going to have more family time. We're going to have more like this where we just come together and we're going to, you know, be able to chill out some. We made it to the Sapphire Throne, you know, and now the kingdom can advance. I do look that we will grow, that new families will come in, new families and lives will be radically shifted out of your lives as you just receive the steadfast love of the Lord. So, and uh, let me just pray. I'm going to pray and I'm going to that you come in deeper into this experience. And so if you just posture your heart uh, to the Lord, it's your infinite condescension, Lord, that you reached down into time and space and sent your son, born within a time, Lord, that would transform our life. And we are so grateful to you this morning for saving us. And the Holy Spirit is telling me, if you could go back to where he, he saved you and where he came in, remember, Dad, March the 19th, 1973, remember, remember, remember when he came to you, remember, remember in the middle of whatever you were going through when he came in and he rushed in on your... Oh, and he came in. It's me, says the Lord. I've always been with you. And I've always loved you. And I will love you all your days. And I pray in the name of Jesus that this everlasting love that you've loved us with, this everlasting love of your kingdom would break through into the the depths of our human existence right now. And I pray for your warmth, Lord, and your kindness and your gentleness as break into our minds and our hearts now. 
I thank you for your love, Lord, and that you loved us. You loved us when, Lord, we couldn't see you or know you. And the Lord, that you're loving through us and transforming us and changing us and manifesting your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you've been so kind to us. And in the place where, where we felt so exposed and we wanted to run that you came near. And I thank you, Lord, and I thank you and I praise you. I praise you, Lord, for being so good when, and being faithful. When I wasn't faithful, you were faithful. And I thank you, Lord, for this faithfulness that you have exhibited towards all of us. And I thank you, Lord, of the revelation that you gave Tom Gross what he set up in his bed that day. Yes. Yes. Oh, your goodness, Lord. Your goodness is better than life. Your kindness is so rich. Your mercies are new every morning. Your faithfulness is beyond the ages. Oh, we magnify you, Lord. We magnify you, Lord. You know, come and magnify the Lord with me. Magnify his name, the one greatly to be praised. It's so good. Rescued us out of the pit. It took us out of the deep, dark marrow, the deep, dark nastiness and the filth, Lord, of our human life and changed us and seated us, Lord, even as princes of, and princesses of your people and made us something we could never be otherwise. It's created a new heart in us. And we pray that this new heart would just, and a new beginning and a new start and a new covenant reality would just be ours. Wash us, Lord, in your word. I pray you wash his people in your word. Wash us in your dwelling place, Lord, in the goodness of your heart, Lord. the dream that he placed in you you will see that dream come to pass I declare this to you Jeff that dream God put in you back in Florida all those years ago that dream to see revival and see our nation wait, you will see it happen what God put in you and where you've been all over this nation that you will see God's hand deliver 
you'll see the fullness of what he put in you and Kelly that your your labor of love in the Lord and everything that you've done up to this point you will see God's hand that God sees you and knows you feel deeds he knows your prophetic gift and he knows the gifts he's placed in you and that you matter he knows you and he sees you where you're at right now and what you've been through and how you trust him and believe him and take courage man take courage like you've never taken and trust the goodness of God to you and he raised you up even out of the affliction that you've been in and he sees you no matter what your condition is that he knows you and that he loves you Austin, God's healed you. Healed you. Completely healed you. That you're not defined anymore by that disease. It doesn't define you anymore. You've been changed. You're able and capable of work. You're capable of getting up capable of leading your family the way you're leading your family it's been so good and I'm so proud of you the Lord is so delights itself in you you've been faithful to the Lord and he sees it that he loves you many of you this year will see yourselves prosper in the Lord a prosperity that you've not seen before. You'll see God's kingdom advance in, in the life of your, uh, in your finances. You will watch with your own eyes that some of the things that you've wanted to break through, even in that area, will you will see prosperity. Many of you in here also will not have any more debt. Your debts will be taken off of you. You, you will not be oppressed by a debt collector anymore in your life. You will not be bothered by that. And it won't be just because you're trying to survive. You will thrive. It won't just be survive, no debt survival. It'll be no, it'll be no debt thriving. And David, I tell you from the Lord that your relationship with your daughters will be restored. That you'll see greater and greater connection with your daughters. And that you won't have to, you don't have to take guilt. You don't receive any of that on yourself. You don't need to. You just receive the love of God who is working through your life and that you would believe that the Lord speaks through you, that he is, that he spoke through you this morning. It is him, you know, that is speaking through you. A greater confidence will come on you, Pete Lineker because you have you have a very powerful mantle sitting on your life and you will you will see a great confidence come up in your voice um which we all love to hear by the way but your accent especially but also what you have to say you know if any of us could talk like that we would maybe i don't know <laughs> but it just is so receptive but that uh that you would just be confident that god's confidence will come over you to prophesy um, what you see even though usually it is so uh, beyond all of us that we can't see it in time but uh, that you you have that 
Daisy, you are lovely to the Lord. May he delights in you. And Karen and I, we love you so much. you're being known in a new way to your own self a new way that maybe you couldn't understand necessarily but the Lord sees you and the Lord knows you and a new uh, understanding of who you are in him is will open up to you there's an expression of who you are that you haven't even um, embarked upon yet that you, you you've known yourself with a certain framework but there's a there's another there's a whole new capacity in you that um, you will grow up into, and the word is going to take care of you. Um, and he has a, he has something, just a new you, uh, a new um, a new understanding of who you are, and who he is in you. try to explain this the best way I know but sometimes the way we've understood ourselves um, there, you will you will know a deeper depth of the heart of the father I, I, his heart as father is different than how we would be as a brother or a sister sometimes we represented ourselves from a either younger brother or older brother mindset, but the heart of the father is different than those two minds. Some of that has uh, infiltrated ourselves, and we don't even know it. Um, and it puts in defense mechanisms in us that God wants to remove out of us. The defense, because there's a defense that goes with the younger brother and there's a defense that goes with the older brother and it characterizes the way you feel about other people and the way you treat others. Um, the Lord wants to take that defense mechanism off of your life and just place his heart as father there. And that father heart will basically minister to the situation that is bothering you that you can't seem to reconcile even if you're dealing with this with your children or your grandchildren there's a heart of father that will go across the problem that would create a defense mechanism um and the lord wants to take that some of that off of you even though you would believe that some of your reactions are actually the correct ones to have 
because sometimes we think that that reaction based in our raising is the one the Lord would want us to have or the one he would have, but it may not be exactly how he is. Uh, you will embrace a greater tenderness and gentleness of his nature and the thing that you're wanting to see transform the one that is under you, the child that is under you. You will watch the transformation of that child as the Lord delivers his heart of father onto you. Why? So that you can raise up other sons and daughters under you. It's time for you to take a shift. Some of you are being shifted into intentional discipleship. But you need his heart of father to do it to be able to integrate and bring somebody close who doesn't necessarily do what they're supposed to do, but they can be around you and you can transform their character by the love that is inside of you. And that will happen for some of you. And some of you, I'm not going to call your names out because I know who you are, but you're going to come into a greater intentional discipleship in your life from the heart of Father. And uh, Sarah, that's her name, right? Um, well, you are lovely to the Lord, and you're so special. And I, I don't know if you know that, but what you're bringing in the midst of our family is so special. And uh, we, we are so blessed by you, and we're so glad you're a part of our family and I know that I know your family loves you but we also love you and um, and uh, just the whole thing that you bring is so wonderful um, when you were playing that piano that day I went back there and we had just come out of our event and I was so touched by the Lord and it, there's something so you know like a like you're like a flower that's blossoming and it's just erupting all over this place and with our whole family and 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 uh, we just want you to know that that and I think you know many of us would want you to know that but I want to say it publicly um, that uh, I'm so I'm so glad the Lord has rescued you and that you have loving parents that love you so much and they do and that you've been rescued out of something that could have been a travesty for your life but the Lord sees you and loves you and and you have nothing but a wonderful future sitting in front of you and God is will open doors for you and, and you will see his hand if you don't already um, uh, bringing uh, greater uh, realms of blessing into your life so just stay confident in him This there's a whole world in front of you that the Lord has for you and it'll be wonderful you don't have to be afraid. Uh, God's got you. you know, he's taking care of you. Um, Nathan, I declare to you a future is beyond your wildest imagination that the dream that God put inside of you, that I have come to love so much, 
You know, the Lord told me he's like Brian Johnson. I don't know if you know who Brian Johnson is in Redding, California, but when I met him, he said he has that capacity sitting in him. But it's more than that. It's your heart. And it's your loyalty. And, man, it's what the way you, I don't care what anybody says about you. I've been with you. And I've watched you. And I've observed your character. And I told your daddy on the phone he should be so proud of you because I've seen character in him like I am, I mean, just incredible character. And in the middle of all your struggle and suffering and what you've been through, and the day you told me I laid myself out on my, my, t- my coffee table and I said, Lord, I don't understand, but I'm committed to love you. And I mean, that day we were both crying in Chipotle. But man, my heart bound my heart bound with you that day, and I knew, man. Now I've watched your, I've observed you, and I've paid attention to you, and I watch people. Now, people don't know that I try to act aloof, but I'm actually paying attention. But that you have been faithful to him, and your character is shining, and the Lord sees your covenantal fidelity to him. The Lord sees it, and the Lord sees it when you have tried to. I've not watched you one time manipulate anybody. I have not seen you try to control anything. I've seen you completely give yourself to the Lord. And the Lord will honor your commitment to him. And you'll see a beautiful uh, future in your life. I don't know what it looks like. But I know from the Lord that you haven't seen the things that God has prepared for you. They they are so great. And this time that you've been in, even though it has probably been tough, it will... It will manifest itself in something of so much glory. And um, stay faithful. Stay the course. Don't back off. Don't, don't, when you get alone and you're alone and you feel it and it's coming in on you, know that he's greater and that he's faithful and that he loves you. And you, thank you, God. Hey, and if, Stephen, would you come up here and just come up here for a minute? Yeah, you, Stephen. Yeah. My kids, they asked me, they said, is he your best friend? And I said, yeah. If y'all would, what? Will y'all reach your hands out and pray and bless? A man of God right here in his family. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord. The day he was born, his mama said that a golden mitre was put on his forehead and slammed into his head because, Lord, you'd make and raise up a high priest king. And I pray your blessing that would come down on him and Jennifer and those babies. I pray you put a hedge of protection around them, strengthen them, and I pray for courage. I thank you for his commitment, Lord. I thank you, Lord, when, when the push comes to shove, Stephen doesn't back off and he stays the course. And I pray that you would just bless him, Lord, all his days. I pray for abundance in his life, Lord. I pray a release of abundance this year. There, there would just be abundance over them and just grace over them as they lead us into the future, into the glory, the glory. Thank you, Lord, for them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for strengthening them. Strengthen them, Lord. Strengthen their resolve. And thank you for this great Hesed. 
Lord, I pray you told me that you saved the best wine for last out of the mountain vintage, that you would raise up the best wine. And I thank you, Lord, to deliver the wine up on this nation, fiery, hot wine, and love that would just pour out all over our nation as you advance Stephen and Jennifer in, in the kingdom, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for raising them up for such a time as this and for ushering us into your presence every week. I pray you just strengthen them. Strengthen them like never before with everything that they need and all the grace, Lord, is pour out grace upon grace on them. In your name, amen. the night. 